0: You'll forgive me for getting this out a day or two late. I'm just returning from the AAO, the American Association of Orthodox Convention in Washington, D.C., where I had a great time. I was there with my family this weekend, and it was a really exciting weekend full of lots of activity, and we're just getting back into town and getting this podcast out to you guys. Our guest today on the show is Mr. Chuck Blakeman. We're gonna be discussing his book, Making Money is Killing Your Business, and this is gonna be an interview that I think you're gonna learn a lot from and you're gonna find really fascinating, so I'm excited to share that with you. Some of the themes from the weekend, I would say, when we're talking about the AAO, the takeaways that I'm going to have is definitely, first and foremost, to focus on clear aligners. Invisalign was there, Align Technology, they had some updated scanners, they were talking about their Invisalign store, we also had some of the new entrants, like 3M, Rocky Mountain Orthodontics, Henry Shine, companies like ULab trying to get into the clear aligner space, some of that's going to be manufactured by companies, some of that perhaps will be manufactured in our office. And I think that's going to continue to be an accelerating theme in 2018 and as we move into 2019. Another thing at the AO was a focus on practice models, the way that we deliver our care and the way that we organize our businesses. Smile Doctors was there with a big presence promoting their DSO. We also had companies there like Exact Smiles talking about a mall kiosk or store, a way to get patients into our pipeline, into our offices through a more consumer-facing model. There was also a focus on multi-specialty pedo-ortho partnerships, and I think, again, this is a trend that we're going to have to continue to monitor as we think about how we want to set ourselves up and the way that we're going to organize ourselves in practices. It was also great to be able to hear some of the speakers that were there this weekend, including many friends and former guests on the podcast, including Dr. Neil Kravitz, Dan Bills, Kyle Fagla, Leanne Panici, uh, many, many others who I'm not going to be able to get in here but it was fantastic to sit and lecture and learn from these great leaders in our profession. And finally, as with any convention and conference, it's wonderful to meet up with friends, to go to your alumni reception, to meet face-to-face friends that you've made in Facebook groups and at previous meetings. And I wanna thank you to those who introduced themselves to me, who came up and said that they listened to the podcast. I wanna thank you for your continued support. So it was a really fantastic weekend. I think we're all going to be Going back and reviewing our notes and trying to figure out what we can put into place in our practice that's going to benefit us and our patients. So, again, a really exciting weekend. We're going to get into our interview, but first, a quick word from one of our sponsors. Today's episode is sponsored by CX Ortho Supply. Are you tired of overpaying for your brackets, bands, wires, and ortho accessories? Tired of reps bothering you during your busy day? How about outrageous shipping charges for supplies? In 2009, Dr. Dino Casciotti was tired too. That's why CX Ortho Supply was created. CX sells excellent quality ortho supplies at extremely low prices. Super high quality stainless steel twin brackets are as low as 50 cents each. Bands are just $1.75. All products are 100% guaranteed, and Dr. C has used these products on over 5,000 of his own patients with excellent results. By ordering from CX Ortho, no reps will bother you, and shipping is always just $5.50. There are no disappearing deals that require huge quantity orders. All orders over $500 get a free high-speed handpiece, and all orders over $1,000 get an automatic 10% discount. If you're interested in saving thousands of dollars on orthodontic supplies each year, check out cxorthosupply.com. For listeners of the podcast, use coupon code ELEVATE when you order, and you'll receive an additional 10% off. Our guest today is Chuck Blakeman. Chuck is a serial entrepreneur, an international speaker, a best-selling business author, and a world-renowned business advisor. Who has built 10 businesses in seven industries on four continents and now uses his experience to advise others. His company, Crankset Group, provides outcome-based mentoring and peer advisory for business leaders worldwide. Chuck sold one of his businesses to the largest consumer fulfillment company in America and led three other 10 to $100 million companies. He presently leads the Crankset Group and a for-profit business based in Africa focused on developing local economies to solve poverty. Chuck is a results leader with decades of experience in leading companies in marketing, import, export, fulfillment, call centers, website development, printing, and direct mail processing. Some of Chuck's customers have included Microsoft, Apple, Eli Lilly, Tap Pharmaceuticals, Sun Microsystems, Tyco Healthcare, John's Manville, and many more Fortune 5000s and smaller businesses. Chuck is a convention speaker, writer, and nonprofit board member. Recent speaking appearances include Kenya, Canada, Ireland, New Zealand, and across the United States over 100 times a year. He's recently been featured in print and online appearances, including Inc. Magazine, Success Magazine, Entrepreneur Magazine, and cnnmoney.com, as well as the newyorktimes.com. It's my pleasure to welcome Mr. Blakeman to the show. Chuck, welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast. Thanks. It's so great to be with you today. We were just talking in the pre-interview here in Colorado. You're into cycling and things. We're finally thawing out here in New England. I love going out there. I think Colorado's got the best mix of outdoor activities and can't beat being up in the mountains, so uh i'm I'm a little bit envious of your location this time of year
1: well Lansing, you're not alone uh, we I think we have more dentists per square mile than anywhere else in America, so that's a, that's a problem for dentists. It's great for us though
0: yeah, you're right that that part I'm not jealous of so uh i've yeah. I've heard that as well so
1: it's a great place to live, and apparently they know it,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, Chuck, I'm a pretty avid reader of all sorts of nonfiction, and the book we're going to talk about today, the book you wrote, was probably my favorite book that I read last year in 2017, so I'm really excited to have you on the show and to talk a little bit more about this book, Making Money is Killing Your Business. It's just an intriguing title, and I guess we'll start with that. You're not really saying that focusing on money is is immoral or that it's, you know, killing your soul. You're, you're actually saying that focusing on making money is bad for business. So we'll lead right with that. And where should we be focusing our business efforts if it's not, you know, on making money?
1: Yeah, let's be clear. I'm a, I'm a uh, hardcore capitalist. I believe in making money, but capitalism is very different than industrialism. We don't have time for that today, but, but there's uh, two widely different things going on here. People think they hate capitalism when what they really hate is industrialism. The point of the, the title, Making Money is Killing Your Business, is not that money is bad. It's that chasing money itself is not going to get you where you need to go. Making money is not an empowering vision. People who try to make a lot of money rarely make a lot of money. People who try and do something bigger than make money generally end up making a lot more of it. So money becomes an indicator, a post indicator of the fact that I added value to the world around me. Steve Jobs says, I never got up in the morning thinking about being the richest man in the cemetery. I got up thinking about what cool technology could we build next that would be transformative in the world around us. Capitalism is about adding value and nothing should be more of value added than dentistry. We're not this isn't about how many people can I churn through my chair. This is about what value can I add to these people's lives. And the more value I add, the indicator of that will be that you're making a bucket load of money. So I'm all for making a bucket load of money, but it should be a result of something bigger than making money.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, orthodontists definitely understand that. And, you know, they're focused on, Making beautiful smiles and really enriching people's uh, confidence and self-esteem and also having them have a personal connection with, with our teams and our office. So I think we, we understand that. But on the other hand, I do think that we get into this mindset of we've got to grow our business. We've got to, you know, increase the number of new patients. And I think we can find ourselves as your book describes kind of. Working harder, running faster as we do that, and then trying to figure out how we got to this place that maybe isn't where we wanted to end up.
1: Yeah. And let's make it practical right away for people. What does it mean to add value or to to think in those terms? I wish I could write a book about this, Lance, but it it would be too short. What makes people successful? And I think, test me on this, and I'd love for your orthodontists who are listening to this to test me on it as well. I believe that people who focus on making decisions based on the long-term will in the long-term eventually be successful, and those who focus on making decisions that are better for the short-term will in the long-term eventually be unsuccessful. I think it comes down to short-term versus long-term thinking. I'm not alone in this. I've been saying this for years, but I haven't had the platform that, uh, what's his name with Big Y? Um, Simon Sinek, you know, he's talked recently about we have an epidemic of short-term decision-making in America, and, and you see it throughout corporate America very simply, but Uh, So so the example here would be, I get presented with someone who's $2 an hour more than the last person at my front desk, and I say, I can't afford that. That's not the right question. The right question is, what will be best for us and for this practice? What will make us the most money in the long term? And then what will make us the most money in the long term is to have the right person at the front desk. And if it costs me $2 more an hour to get the right person so I don't have to churn through people... The cost of replacing people, training people, the negative effect on your customer experience, all those kinds of things. That's just a great example of long-term versus short-term uh, decision making. I work with orthodontists and dentists around the, really around the nation, and I see this all the time. The guy who, who wants to buy the cheaper machine or cut the training or all these other shortcuts in order to save money to make money this month. You can see down the road that they're struggling more than the person who says, it's not I can't afford to, it's I can't afford not to. So the first application of this whole concept is let's figure out what is expense and what is investment. And too often we see everything leaving our hand as an expense when in fact many of the things leaving our hand, including the things we pay the people around us, that better be an investment. If you see anybody in your practice as an expense, it's time to replace them.
0: And I think this is something that you discuss in pretty good detail in your book this comparison of short term thinking and and long term thinking. You mentioned this concept of the tyranny of the urgent, how, you know, there's, as we start running faster and, you know, that treadmill starts spinning a little bit faster, we're really focused on either these crises that arise or an opportunity that that we've got to take in the short run. And I think we like to deal with urgent matters. You know, Maybe not only because they're screaming at us for attention, but also because it feels good to check them off our list. And and we can kind of get caught in that trap of just focusing on those things. And and that long-term thinking is a little bit more amorphous. It's more difficult. It's that Stephen Covey quadrant two stuff that's a little bit hard to, to make time to do in a busy schedule.
1: Yeah, Dr. Miller, you got that nailed. I mean, it's why I opened the book with that concept of the tyranny of the urgent versus the priority of the important. That is short term versus long term decision making. We see the short term results very quickly. I like building a deck because you don't even have to sand it. You're done and there it is. It's a deck. Put some furniture on it. But putting insulation in the walls or, or designing the house or all these other things that could happen later. I don't see any effect for the insulation in the walls until it's winter. We we think short term. It's just it's it's in our nature. You know, it comes from survival back in the caves. I don't care. It doesn't matter where it came from, but but we think in terms of how do we get through today, this week, and this month. And it's the two opposing forces. Every day when we get out of bed, we're, we're faced with both of those. The tyranny of the urgent is like a three-year-old yanking on us. Mommy, daddy, I'm tired, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, I have to go to the bathroom. Are we there yet? It's relentless. It's why we call it the tyrant because a tyrant is a king. It's something that rules you that you didn't ask for. And there are so many things that show up in our practice every morning, Monday morning that we did not ask for that are going to try and rule us. And the problem is that we actually react to those things. Let's say 30 things show up during the week that we didn't ask for, and we knock down 29 of them. We get to the end of the week and we go home to our spouse and say, man, I had a great week. 30 dumb things came at me and I knocked down 29 of them. And I think I had a great week because I'd get this short-term buzz. It's like an adrenaline rush. When in fact, None of it will help us actually push forward. And we were left with one thing. We didn't knock down. Do that 52 weeks in a row. And you wonder how you ended up in the same place a year later or even worse off. It's because we're reacting to the tyranny of the urgent instead of proactively working with the priority of the important. And to your point, it's really easy to see why we don't because the important stuff is almost never urgent. I don't need my will to be up to date because I'm still breathing. It's that mindset. Yeah, I can deal with this next month or two months from now. How do I train people? How do I put together a process that will actually serve us long run? I'm too busy running the process to write it down. That's tyranny of the urgent versus priority of the important. So these two mindsets, will one of them will destroy us and and just wear us out and the other one will make us very successful.
0: Yeah, I think we've done a pretty good job kind of laying out the case or, or the problem that we're all facing, but maybe let's talk a little bit about some solutions. You mentioned Simon Sinek and start with why. It seems like that's where we have to really begin It's with a vision or a goal for our practice or our life. And then once we've kind of figured that out, we can kind of get into implementation. But it seems like we have to have a vision and, and then maybe this gets into the part where people think, oh, this is this mission statement stuff that's kind of this often the ether sort of thinking. But uh it does seem like, you know, if you ask a lot of orthodontists, what's your goal? What's your vision? And they'll say, I want to grow my practice. I want to treat more patients. And, you know, from a business standpoint, make more money. How do we get that why? How do we understand what for each of us is important and get our business to serve that goal?
1: Yeah, this is fundamental stuff. We miss on this stuff because we look at giant corporations and say, well, vision and mission and values and all that stuff, those are statements they put in their annual reports because they have to. And that's for giant corporations. I'm too busy. Uh, working with my patients in order to do that nonsense. That's woo-woo crap. That's this fuzzy-wuzzy stuff. It doesn't have any impact in the day-to-day. Let's get a patient in the chair and let's, let's make them happy. And we don't understand that we come to work every day with a set of values and a vision and a mission. The problem is none of it's written down, and because it's not written down, it changes with the wind. It's situational ethics, and we let the world push us around my best friend in the world lives in Belfast, Ireland, John Heenan. He says, if you don't have a vision for your own life, you'll become part of somebody else's vision for theirs. Most orthodontists have no, when you ask them, why are you doing this? The answer I'll get more often than not is a dental answer, an orthodontic answer that has to do with somebody else's smile. And I said, no, I mean you personally. What do you plan to get out of this? What is your legacy? What is your satisfaction? Uh, I had a heart attack June 30th of last year. And just to give you an understanding of how powerful vision should be for us and mission, in the the uh, emergency room, the doctor says to me, you are presently right now having a heart attack. And I said, cool. And he says, we're going to take you up from stairs to an operating room. I says, do I get the watch? And he looks at me and he looks at the nurse and he says, you are the happiest person I've ever told this to. And he just shook his head and walked out. And I said, well, I'm ready to go, aren't you? And the point of that is I've, I'm 63 years old and I've lived for the last 20 or 30 years with a deep vision for what I want to do with my life and the mission that I want to have. And I want to live till I'm 120. Don't get me wrong. But any day I, I need to go, I'd be happy to say uh, this has been a life well lived. And my businesses have had an impact in the world around me as well. So we too often live through our business and think it's our business that should have the impact. The fact is you bring a set of beliefs to work every day. Why not do it on purpose? If you did it on purpose, it would change the way you do your practice. Our beliefs determine our values. Our values determine our thoughts. Our thoughts determine our actions. Our actions determine our habits. Our habits determine our character. And our character determines our destiny. If you want to know where you end up, start with what you believe. Your beliefs determine your destiny as a human being and as a practice. And, and I can show you side-by-side comparisons of practice after practice where these people had their beliefs written on the front wall for everybody in their practice to see. They live them out, and it changes the way they do orthodontics. And then you go to the next guy who says, yeah, I don't believe in that crap, and they're struggling.
0: Yeah. And I think that it allows you know our practice to serve us rather than us having to constantly serve our practice, which I know is the feeling that many people have. And, and I guess Probably everyone has, even people that are doing it the right way feel that way at times. But trying to set from the outset what it is that we're trying to accomplish professionally in terms of our community, in terms of our families, I think if we spend a little bit of time understanding that, then when we get to the decision-making part, we've kind of have some guidelines to go by.
1: Yeah, it's it's very insightful. It's one of those things that comes from the tyranny of the urgent thing. The question is, do you own your practice or does your practice own you? Let's be honest, which is which? One of my favorite questions in life is, what am I pretending not to know? I just love I love and hate that. You know, it's one of those love-hate relationships. But are you willing to say I own this practice or this practice owns me? Which one who's really the the owner here, the tyrant or are you the king of the of your own castle here? And we've got to figure that out. How do we get to where we own the practice? I've built 11 businesses in 8 industries on 4 continents. And every day we have three of them right now. They're all, they're all focused on dentistry and orthodontics. And I can tell you right now, Dr. Miller, every day or at least once a week, I have to wrestle my businesses back to the ground and say, no, no, I'm in charge. You're not going to be the tyrant. I'm going to be the king here and I'm going to rule over you. I own you. You don't own me. It's never something that goes away, but you can get it to the point where it's only something you pick away at here and there rather than this thing hanging over your head oh no, I have to go to work, it's Monday morning. I think that's such
0: a great answer. And I love in your book how you mention this concept of your business should generate not only money for the owner, but also time for the owner. And I wanted to get your thoughts on this because in a dental setting, in a healthcare setting where people will say, you know, I'm the doctor, I have to be the provider. How can the business provide me time? How do I think about creating the lifestyle that I want when I'm the one that has to be there with my hands in people's mouths?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. We're taught to be craftspeople or technicians. 85% of all businesses, or no, it's 95% of all businesses in America are started by someone who's familiar with the industry, and 85% of them are technicians, meaning they're really good at what they're doing. In dentistry, it's 100%. We're just taught that the way you will make money is by sticking your hand in somebody else's mouth. I have a friend here in Denver. I'm not sure he wants to give his whole name, but I'll give his, I'll give Dr. Lee. Dr. Lee Blank has been retired for 15 years now. The day he got his letter of acceptance to dental school, he went out and mowed his lawn and stuck his finger underneath the mower when the blades were still moving and just nicked one of his fingers and realized that his whole future had just flashed before his, his hands. And he vowed that day to never allow his life to be dependent on his own hands. As a result, by the time he retired, he had 16 practices. He practiced dentistry, but he didn't have to. And I'm not advocating that you have to have 16 practices. We have one of our clients in Florida has a single, practice, single location practice that has $12 million running through it. We have other, uh, I've got one here in Colorado with five people involved in it. You can figure this out. How do we get to the point where you are less and less dependent on your own hands for your living? It's a critical difference between being an income producer and a business owner. It's one of the things we lay out in the book. Most of us would say, I own a practice. And I would say, No, you own a job. It's very simple to see the difference. An income producer is someone who relies on their own hands to produce the income. And a practice owner is someone who can leave and the practice still makes money without them. So I have a lot of dentists and, and orthodontists who say to me, Well, you know, I take Fridays off so I have a I have a lot of freedom. Well you, you don't own a practice until on Fridays that thing is making money when you're not there. We have to figure that out.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think this concept of trying to design your lifestyle and figure out how to get your business to serve that lifestyle. For me, when I first kind of was introduced to this concept, it almost sounded to be like presumptuous or extravagant. And maybe I was raised on this kind of show up, work hard mentality. But, you know, I remember sitting in a presentation when I was an orthodontic resident. This was put on by a well known consultant. And she started her presentation by saying, I first want you to decide how much money you want to make and how many days you want to see patients and then work from there, which at the time I just thought sounded so ridiculous. And I think we almost have to give ourselves permission to embark on this whole process of, of lifestyle design. That's probably closer to the way I'm thinking about my practice nowadays. But at the time, it just sounded so foreign.
1: It, well, it, we weren't taught that way. And, and I've done the history on this stuff. My second book is really tracing the history of of how we end up in these dumb work mindsets from the industrial age factory system. And that's really where a lot of this stuff comes from. In the factory system, for the first time in the history of man, free people traded time for money. When you made shoes in 1700, if you could make 10 shoes in two days and they're high quality, and the guy down the road made four pairs of shoes and it took him all week and they were low quality, guess who made more money? We were always about how do we make more money in less time. The factory system took that mindset away from us and we trade an hour for a dollar. We come out and we do orthodontics ourselves and we just assume that the way we're going to do this is to trade time for money. That's the only option we have. The reality of it is we're just going back where we came from. Let's get out of that mindset. Warren Buffett doesn't suffer from it and we need to adopt the business owner's mindset rather than the income producer's mindset. So how do I get to where I'm no longer trading time for money? There's a simple game we, we teach practice owners to play. It's, we call it the practice owner's game. And if you're willing to play this game, it's two questions. Play it every day. It will change your life. Changed mine. The first five or six businesses I, I did, I was a hostage to those businesses. They were the tyrant and I was ruled. And I finally got to where I could play this game. The objective of the game is this, making more money in less time just the opposite of what we've been taught. You only have 168 hours. The only way for you to make more money is figure out how to make it without going beyond those 168. Well, let's do even more than that. Let's figure out how to, to make more money with even less than the 168 hours. Here's two questions that all of us should be asking ourselves. Whatever a practice owner is doing, or even a dentist, we teach everybody in our business this, by the way, whether they own anything or not, but let's just start with the practice owner. Whatever you're doing every day, driving to work, Working on a profile, working on a protocol, uh, ordering a, a copier, training somebody, whatever it is you're doing, ask yourself question number one, is this what I'm doing right now the highest and best use of my time? When we ask that question and we start writing those things down, the answer is going to be no, the overwhelming majority of the time. Move on to question number two. If not, then how do I do this for the last time? And I know that sounds like a fuzzy question, but I guarantee you, if you are committed to getting the answer, it will lead you to things like writing your processes down, training other people, buying a second practice, or getting more hygienists, or putting in a third operator or a ninth operator or whatever it is. It will put you in a position where you will be figuring out how do I make more money in less time. This is not the highest and best use of my time. Let's get somebody or something else to do this better software better procedures. And I guarantee if you want to figure this out, it will change the way you you practice and you can make more money in less time. There's a lot more behind that, but that's the principle. For me, I always
0: feel like the best use of my time is being with patients, with parents, with people out in the community. It's a lot of that face time. It's a lot of that relationship building. But I definitely find myself getting kind of sucked into some of the you know logistical headaches or solving problems that maybe, like you say, I've, I've solved this problem four times before. Why haven't I properly delegated this or trained someone or written the protocol? And that, that seems to be the challenge if you want to free up the time for your highest and best use.
1: Yeah, it really is. It, it makes no sense to do it the way we're doing it. We've got to figure out how to get beyond that whole idea of me doing this. And I would say that in some cases, we help people learn how to, to do practice management or not do it. Some of the people out there helping dentists and orthodontists, the orthodontist would say to me, hey, I don't want help learning how to run my practice. I just want to be in the chair. Okay, that's the highest and best use of your time. The next orthodontist will say, hey, I don't want to be freed up of running the business so that I can be in the chair. I actually want to run the business and not be in the chair as much. Okay, that's the highest and best use of your time. Let's figure out what is actually the thing that feeds you and that brings you energy. And then let's design a practice that gets you that. On the back of my book, uh, in huge black letters, it says, Use your practice to build your ideal lifestyle. Right. And that's what we don't understand. We, we just assume that we have to conform to the way the business is put together. No, let's figure out what you need out of this, both as a legacy and as a lifestyle. And then let's design a practice that will get you that. I've got one orthodontist I'm working with right now that he's 20 years in. He says, Hey, I work, I'm in a chair four days a week, and then I'm working in the business two other days a week. And I, I can't figure out how to get out from under this. And we've made a commitment that within 18 months, he will be in the chair two days a week. He'll be in the business one day a week, and he'll have two more days a week to wake up in the morning and say, what should I do today? <laughs> and 18 months, is it should be an easy thing for us to get him there in 18 months because he really is committed to how do I do this for the last time.
0: Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up the time frame too, because I'm sure that's a question people have. You know, if I'm going to make these changes, obviously we're going to have to change business protocols maybe there's some training, maybe there's team members that need to change that aren't receptive to kind of the new way of, of doing things, or at least that need to be uh, kind of brought on board with that. When people set these goals, which I mean, that sounds like a fairly strong or audacious goal. What is the time frame that you tell people that they can accomplish these sorts of things?
1: That could be aggressive. In his case, I'm actually believing we'll get him there in 12 to 15 months. I just haven't told him that. Because he, he's afraid of 12 to 15 months. He thinks 18 is aggressive. And so I want to go with what is mildly scary to him, but he sees we can actually do. But I think we'll get in there faster. It all depends. The answer is, of course, it depends. The idea behind all this is the longer you've been in dentistry, the faster you can actually make this switch from being a business, an income producer to a, a practice owner. If you're just starting out, we have these things for small business owners called three to five clubs around the world. And a three to five club, we put 20 to 24 business owners in a room twice a month for two hours. And then they have one-to-ones with each other. We have a two-year syllabus we put them through and we teach them how to run uh, and build a business. We call it three to five club because we believe that there isn't a business on the face of the earth that couldn't in three to five years get to the point where the, the business owner isn't regularly getting time off while the business is also making money. Whether it's, Friday afternoons, the guy leaves at noon every Friday and the thing continues to make money until five or whatever, but everybody should be able to get there in three to five years. That's from the printing of a business card. If you've been in practice for 10 or 15 or 20 years, uh, you ought to be able to get there in 12 to 24 months because so much of it has been put in place. So much of the infrastructure is in place and all we have to do is begin to figure out the answer to the question, how do I do this for the last time and help other people, other processes. So yeah, we'll redesign protocols in some cases, we'll redesign processes, we'll just get more people involved in things that you felt like you had to do in the past, but it's very doable and the longer you've been in practice, actually, ironically, the faster you can get there.
0: Huh, I guess that makes sense. I wouldn't have thought about it that way, but I think that's interesting.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't have either when we when I first did this. It was logically, it seemed like if you start with a blank slate, you can get there faster. No, there's there's a lot of stuff that has to be put in place to get a practice up and running in the first three to five years. You get past that, and now it's just a matter of getting that mindset tweaked to the point where you can figure out how to get things onto other people's plate. You you mentioned mastermind groups,
0: or you guys call these, these three to five groups, and you talk in the book a little bit about having outside eyes on your business. I think it's hard for some people to open up and to be accountable to a peer group or maybe to a coach. You know, I've had more experience probably with the former than the latter, but it does seem like these are huge resources to shortcut your way to success and, and avoid some landmines along the way.
1: Well, uh, Dr. Miller, I can be the empathizer here because I am a recovering John Wayne rugged individualist for my first five or so businesses. Every time I printed a business card, it was like, I got this. Even if I don't got this, I need everybody to think I've got this. I'm not going to let anybody think I don't know everything. I printed a business card. I must know everything about this business. I have to be an expert. And it wasn't until my sixth or seventh business, I'm a slow learner, in my early 50s, late 40s, where I finally uh, was willing to say, you know, I, I don't know everything. In fact, I know very little. And the older I get, the less I know and the more help I need. And the more people with no dog in the hunt will have a better answer for how to help me than than me doing it all myself. So, I totally get that that need or that desire for people to think uh, that I have to know everything because I, I went to dental school. Yeah. But boy, we need to get over that. I, I look back on those earlier businesses and realize how much more quickly I could have gotten where I needed to if I had what we call outside eyes. We We talk about the four building blocks of a successful practice. And the fourth one is outside eyes. The first three help you get there. And the fourth one accelerates the first three in ways you couldn't possibly imagine. So I, I get it. But I, I have to admit, we need a place where we can say three magic words. I don't know. You can't say that with the people who work with you because they'll put their resumes out. You can't say that with your patients. They'll go somewhere else. You can't say that with your vendors. They'll change your terms. You can't even say it to your spouse because now there's two of you waking up in cold sweats at night. I, I thought, <laughs> I thought she or he knew you know, what, what they were doing. They don't know what they're doing. Where do you go to say, I don't know? A mastermind group is a tremendous place to be able to say that. And if you're afraid to do it in your own hometown, we're putting together mastermind groups. And, the, and you guys have these as well, but for orthodontists and others where they can talk to people in other cities, where they can, they can be honest with somebody else in another city and say, Hey, I don't have this figured out. The reality of it is, we shouldn't be embarrassed because you had 200 plus hours of clinical and maybe two or three hours of business when you went to dental school. You shouldn't know how to do this. You weren't taught.
0: Yeah. And I think you hit the nail on the head. There's this doctor mentality where people feel like they need to be the authority. They need to be the expert. They don't want to look like they're being caught flat footed. Yep. But I feel like, and, and for the listeners, you know, if you can find a person or a group where you can open up and share. We have some of these online groups and a lot of people are sharing best practices. They're sharing their tips and their successes and here's something that's working for us and that's wonderful. It's great to glean those kind of nuggets or those pearls but I think also what is useful is to be able to have a setting like you mentioned where you can say, this is what I'm struggling with or you know, look at this and be honest with me about what you see and if you can get someone who who can give you some honest feedback, that's going to be tremendously valuable. And for me, I've uh, really worked hard to develop relationships with people and put myself in, in these sorts of groups that allow for that. And that's where the real learning and growth come in.
1: And if, if that's too exposed to begin with, totally get it. That's another reason to, to get a, a mentor or a business advisor who that one person can come in and look around and, and be your confidant and say, hey, here's things I see that could really push you forward. And, Here's some strengths you have. Let's continue to build on those. And so yeah, having outside eyes. I was a twenty handicapped golfer for like thirty years. And I decided I want to be a really good golfer. I spent two years hacking around on driving ranges as much as I could. And I got it down to like a twelve. And then I got a coach. And in two years the coach took me from a twelve to a two. Wow. I was stuck at twelve and I'd never gotten past twelve on my own. Couldn't do it. But you get outside eyes and it greatly accelerates. Where you want to go? So yeah, you, we think all that time we've wasted doing it ourselves when we could have gotten somebody else involved in this. You mentioned uh, outside eyes
0: being the kind of the fourth principle or foundation. What? Yeah. Maybe we have a little bit of time here. Maybe we can hit these other three and, and kind of wrap up with that.
1: Yeah, very quickly. We've hit some of them uh, naturally because they are building blocks. The first one, the first building block of a great practice is what we call the big why. The lifetime goals, what are the things that are bigger than your practice that you want out of life that your practice is helping you get done or get to? Your family, your personal achievements, your legacy, your community, your desire to do things overseas or whatever it is, what's your big why? We talked about, I wrote the book in 2008 and then Simon Sinek came out with 2012 with big why stuff. I mean, this is a huge human need. We have to start with why and figure out why we're in it. So that's the first thing is what am I doing this for personally? The second building block is a plan, not a business plan. I'm not a fan of traditional business plans. They're voodoo, they're fortune telling. You write the thing and you put it on your shelf with your shelf help books to help your shelf look good. That's what a business (laughs) plan is good for. The world changes too fast. We believe in strategic plans. And for years, I used a two-page strategic plan of my own. And We teach uh, our practice owners to do the same thing and the practices to to run their businesses on a two-page strategic plan that's rolling, dynamic. They can change it every month. And they figure out how to use that to get both to their ideal lifestyle, to their lifetime goals, as well as to get to the end of the year so that their practice is different. And then the third building block is what we call freedom mapping. Mapping your way to freedom as a practice owner and then mapping every single person in your practice, mapping their way to freedom to their highest and best use of their time. What if everybody in your practice was actually doing the stuff that was the highest and best use of their time to the best of their ability? You know, nobody's talking about nirvana here, but too often we plug people into jobs. They put up a third of it and they hate a third of it, and that person quits and it's a different third, a third, and a third. Let's figure out how to rearrange work so that everybody's doing the best stuff that they're really good at. Freedom mapping is where the rubber meets the road, where you get this stuff out of your head, through your heart, out your hands, onto a piece of paper so that you can hire other people and put other processes in place that will actually make this stuff happen. And then the fourth one, Outside Eyes, accelerates the first three. So we need a big why, we need a plan, and we need a a map for getting there. I just love the
0: book. Like I said, it was one of my favorite books, if not my favorite book from last year. And I just really enjoyed how you started with these kind of big concepts about goals, mission, purpose in life, all of these things. And then very seamlessly translated that into some practical, hands-on, uh, and people should go and check out your book you know, about some of these processes, strategic planning and, and freedom mapping and, and some of these things that kind of take these nebulous concepts and then really bring them down and apply them. So I just thought it was a, a great concept. And I really want to thank you, Chuck, for taking some time and coming and sharing this with our listeners today.
1: Well, thanks so much, Dr. Miller. It was great to be with you. Before we sign off, tell our listeners
0: a little bit more about the services your company provides to dentists and orthodontists, and you know if they want to learn more about you, uh, how to do that.
1: Yeah, you can find us at chuckblakeman.com. That's one place to find us. And then we have a quarterly dental summit we do for the dental industry alone. We've got some orthodontists signed up for this. We do it quarterly, and it's called the GOT Summit. G-O-T-T stands for Get Off the Treadmill, the Get Off the Treadmill Summit. And in that two days we teach these principles of and the practices of how to personally get off the treadmill, how to re-engage everybody, rehumanize the workplace and give everybody their brain back and get everybody one hundred percent engaged through distributed decision making, better leadership, better teamwork, better protocols. So we work on those things for a couple of days and come out with some really practical things that will change the way you do your practice. The next one is in July. July 12th and 13th. It's going to be here in Denver. We usually push them around the US, but this year, or this quarter is going to be in Denver, July 12th, 13th, and 14th. So you can just go to gotsummit.com, G-O-T-T summit.com and sign up there, or just uh, go to chuckblakeman.com and you can find Krista at Crankset Group there and she'll, she'll get you started.
0: Well, this has been fantastic. I hope to be able to meet you someday and soon at one of these events or in another function. Thank you again, Chuck, for your time.
1: Thanks, Dr. Miller. Stay warm up there. Thank you for listening to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast. For more episodes, subscribe on iTunes or visit our website at
0: elevateorthopodcast.com. Tune in next week for another great episode.